Good morning. I hope you all are ready to change your health in six steps today. Yes, six steps is all it takes. Okay, not really. It's a little bit more complicated than that. But six steps is what we're going to talk about today. You are one-on-one with me, and I'll be walking you through the six areas of your life that impact your health the most. Keeping it simple, going a little bit under the complex, but telling you kind of how you can get started with making some changes that have a lasting impact and how to do that. So thank you all so much for joining me. Good morning, Thrive Life community. For those of you that are new to the show, welcome. I am so glad to have you here with me live from the ACUF Texas studios here on Vinyl Draft Radio. I am your host, Amy Robison, nutrition consultant and owner of My Life Delicious. And I hope you are ready to power up your life and health with today's Thrive in Five. So today I'm actually going to give you a little bit of my own background and my own health history so you kind of know how I got to where I am today, things that I have dealt with and what I'm dealing with still today because most practitioners, especially ones kind of in the, I guess you would call us the alternative health field, holistic health field, most people who go into this industry have their own health story and it, or they have a, like a close family member or a close friend who've dealt with some difficult issues and they want they just want to figure out how to help them. So it's kind of where I got to where I am today and being a nutrition consultant is my own story of having health issues literally my entire life. So if we go like way, way back to me being a little bit, little baby, I started antibiotics at a very young age. Um, I had chronic ear infections when I was little, a lot of colds. I was sick a lot, Um, but I also had really severe mineral and nutrient deficiencies. And the reason I had that is because I had really, really bad digestive problems. So I was like the little kid with the super bloated out belly because I was really, really constipated. And if I wasn't really constipated, I had horrible diarrhea and diarrhea that I could not, I could not control bowel movements because I had, it was just such, so extreme, this situation. So I was in pain a lot. I was super bloated. My hair felt like was like dry, like straw. It was horrible. I bruised really easily. I'm um, just really a, really a sick kid. I was super skinny. I couldn't put on weight when I was little, of course, because I just wasn't absorbing nutrients. And I mean, I know a little bit more about this now, but hindsight, we just could not get any answers. We went from doctor to doctor to doctor. I was actually just in Seattle on vacation recently, and I was telling a friend of mine, my my memory of going to Seattle, I think I was about six years old, and I was going to the children's hospital there because, again, no one could figure out what was wrong with me because the, the bowels were so bad, and I was sick all the time. So I'm, I'm in the, the children's hospital, and we stayed at the Ronald, I remember staying at the Ronald McDonald house for a couple of days. So I'm in the children's hospital. They couldn't get the IV in my hand. So they were like poking my hand all over the place. And they brought in multiple doctors and nurses trying to get the IV in my hand. And I think they eventually put it in my foot or something. I don't quite remember. So the reason I was in the hospital is they were doing a biopsy of my small intestine. So my next memory, which is also really awesome, is that I'm laying in this hospital bed and I'm, I'm on my side and I, there's a little um, video, I guess. So I'm watching this process happening and they have to stick this huge tube down my throat and have to swallow it. And I couldn't do it. I was crying and I was puking because I couldn't get the, the tube to go down my throat because then 
in that tube, then they were sticking a smaller kind of a cord with a little pincher on it. They were sticking that down my throat into my small intestine to take a biopsy. And I could actually feel when they grabbed a piece of the intestine and pulled, I could feel that inside. It didn't, it didn't hurt, but it felt more like pressure, but I could actually feel that happening. So they pull out whatever it is that they're pulling out and do a biopsy. And of course they find absolutely nothing. There was, <laughs> there was no issues as far as they could see in the intestine. Of course, you know, along the small intestine, there's a lot of things going on. So they're pulling it from one particular place where there could have actually been an issue somewhere else. But, you know, that's what they did at the time. And they didn't find anything wrong with me. I had multiple like food sensitivity testing, except for wheat, of course. So which ended up being a problem later. So there was periods of time when I was little that I would, I remember not being able to eat sugar. I think there was like maybe a couple of fruits I had to I could eat. There wasn't very much. Um, I couldn't eat dairy or like homemade yogurt. I think homemade yogurt was okay. And I had to take mineral oil in there to try to get my bowels to move because they were so compacted all the time. And I would have these whole, oh my God, there's a lot of pain involved. Let's just put it that way. And then I would have um, like really weirdly discolored bowel movements too. Like I had a white one once, which means basically you're not you're not absorbing fat, which is not a good situation. I don't think that happened progressively or a lot, but that did happen before. So a lot of issues and most of them stemmed around digestion. Now, there wasn't a whole lot that they did at that point. It was basically like, oh, well, this is just your lot in life and you're, you'll grow out of it at some point. And especially the bowel, I wasn't able to control the bowel. So I had accidents all the time. Um, I would have them anywhere. So I'd be out and running around and I couldn't control my bowels or I'd be at school and couldn't control my bowels. So it was really embarrassing as a little kid to be in class and not and like literally go to the bathroom in your pants because you can't control it. So then I would have to change my clothes. And I have to say, though, I must have had some amazing teachers because literally no little kids ever really made fun of me or said anything. So it was pretty amazing. I think I had some really amazing teachers. So shout out to all of my elementary school teachers for taking such good care of me because I never had any issues with the kids. So as far as that goes, those little things I did actually start to grow out of probably around sixth or seventh grade. So I was able to control bowels better. But then other things started happening. So again, I continued having all the colds. I continued to have um, earaches probably were going away at that point, but I had lots of bloating all the time. So my belly was always distended. It was just normal. I thought that was normal. I didn't know that it was normal for it to be more flat. I thought it was just normal for your belly to stick out all of the time. And from there, I started getting chronic sinus infections. So I usually would have at least two to three per year, sometimes four to five per year. Um, chronic, so the chronic sinus infections and then chronic headaches. So I think the headache started when I was about 15. Um, so pretty much until I was in my 30s, I pretty much had a headache every day, like the dull pain headache every day. So as you can probably imagine, at some point, I lived on Excedrin and Advil and all of those type of things. In fact, we used to call Excedrin our medicine because I had to take it so incredibly often. I remember doing some migraine medicine when I was in my teens, um, not too, too long because it really just didn't make much difference. And they weren't really, I wouldn't really call them like severe migraines all the time. I had a few, but mostly it was headaches. So then also in my teens, super bad cycle issues. So with my period, 
really severe heavy cramping. I would get flu-like symptoms where I would be throwing up and diarrhea, and I passed out once just because of the pain was so severe. So really, really debilitating, which I now know is estrogen dominance. Um, so again, not something you really we really did anything about. It was just like, this is the way it is, so just keep going. I had viral infections, um, so I got mono when I was 19. Didn't really think a whole lot about it then, but I was really, really sick, um, basically laying in bed for like a month. So I was really sick then. So all of those things kind of continued. And as I got into my 20s and 30s, there was it was kind of status quo. And then I started getting some progression of reflux and things along those lines. And then about, I don't know, about 10 years ago is when I started making dietary changes. So I'm going to talk about that as I go into the next segment. And as I go into like the different pillars that we're going to talk about today. And the number one is going to be food. So I'm going to come back to that. But I started that process of changing food and what I was eating. So I started getting better. But then other things started cropping up because there was deeper issues. So I had a really severe parasite overgrowth at one point so called blastocystis hominis. It was really, really bad. So I had really bad infection and um uh, inflammation in my colon. So that was about five years ago. And then in the past couple of years, I had a viral infection, what we call express itself. So it's kind of like it woke up and we think it was probably Epstein-Barr from the mono. And that attacked the inner, the nerve in my left inner ear and created damage on the vestibular nerve, which is your balance center. So I have chronic vertigo and I've had chronic ver- vertigo since 2015. So as you can see, I have an extensive health history. That's you are a led- hot mess. <laughs> I am a hot mess, and I'm going to tell you how I have dealt with being a hot mess when I come back. Welcome back, Thrive Life community. So glad to be with you again today. So on the first segment, I went through my hot mess of a health history and kind of tells you, you know, why I'm doing what I'm doing today. And I'm kind of kind of tell you why I decided to go into this field. So if you missed the first segment, I can't rehash because it's literally a lot of information. So And it's kind of depressing. <laughs> it is it is kind of depressing. <laughs> it is kind of a depressing history. Unfortunately, it's really, really common. Most people People that come to see me don't have just like little things that have cropped up here and there. They have a history. I mean, I've had people bring me pages of health condition, pages of surgeries, pages and pages and pages of things that have gone on with them for their through their health history that a lot of times no one's really putting the pieces together. And doesn't mean that I'm always able to put the pieces together. Sometimes I can see some things um, and sometimes I'm like, wow, we just we need to get you in with somebody else because it's so extensive that it's just beyond my scope. I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly exactly what's going on outside of, you know, the, some of the little things I see, but I guess, so I had lots of digestive problems, lots of problems with my period. I had some, you know, weight gain and loss in like my twenties and thirties. Um, and then I decided I was, I got reflux when I was, I don't know, early, early thirties. Um, I didn't know that's what it was at the time. Cause I had this, like, it didn't have, I didn't have like burning reflux. It was this weird pressure in the upper part of my chest. And it, it was, it was scary because I'm like, well, am I having a heart attack? Is something wrong with my heart? What the heck is going on? So I went to a couple of different doctors. 
I went to my primary. He was like, I have no idea what's wrong with you. I'm going to send you to a cardiologist just to make sure there's nothing wrong with your heart. So I went to the cardiologist and I'm telling him all of, you know, what's going on and how everything feels and all that. And so he wanted me to come back to run some tests, um, which I never did because when I walked, he's like, well, I have some, some information I want you to read, um, about, and then we'll make an appointment for you to come back. So I'm like, all right. So I walked to the front desk and get all checked out and they hand me this paperwork and I walk out and I get to the car and I sit down and I looked, the, looked through the paperwork to see what it is I'm supposed to be reading about. And he literally sent me out the door with paperwork on hysteria. So I was like, are you kidding me? But not quite in those words. It was a little more extensive than that. So <laughs> I was absolutely, I was humiliated, mortified, and I was furious. Because how dare you tell me that I am just being hysterical and that there is not, I know my body, there's something going on. I know you're a doctor, but there's something not right in my body. I, I know myself. And so I was really, really angry. So <laughs> eventually I went to an ENT. Someone had recommended that maybe I should go and do that because I was having some like weird pressure in my ears too. So I did. And they diagnosed me with reflux. Like, well, hallelujah, I have a diagnosis. I know what's going on for me. Um, and, but of course, their, their recommendation was that I take Nexium. And after discussing, and this is before prior to me being a little bit more health conscious like I am now. And so I talked to a few different people and basically everyone told me not to do it, that they had more problems taking the Nexium than what it solved for them. So I'm like, all right, I've got to figure something out because I don't feel good. Something's not right. So I went to Barnes and Noble and I found this book called, literally called Natural Alternatives to Nexium. So I got this little book and I read through it and it had some different things to do for reflux and, you know, little different ideas. But one of the things that stood out to me was that maybe I had a food intolerance. Maybe I was allergic to gluten or to dairy or, you know, to something along those lines. I'm like, all right, well, I had never thought about that before, but let me just give it a go. So I decided to take gluten out of my diet. And it was a really difficult at first. I didn't, this is a little bit, a little ways back. So there wasn't a lot of gluten-free foods. I didn't really understand completely what that meant. So I ate a lot of scrambled eggs for a couple of weeks and I felt absolutely horrible. <laughs> I thought something else was wrong with me because I couldn't like lift my arms to dry my hair because I felt so weak. It was so terrible. Then I thought I had MS. I think all of, the, of course, the worst case scenario things are going through my head as far as what's going on. But I did eventually come out on the other side of that. And literally within three months, health issues I had had my entire life started to go away or at least reduce greatly. I lost almost 30 pounds. Um, the bloating was gone. I mean, it was like flat stomach for the first time in my, literally in my, my entire life. So the stomach was gone. The headaches were gone. I haven't had a sinus infection since then. And so that's been, I think that was 2010. So it's eight years when I'd had sinus infections, two to three times a year as a minimum for most of my life, no more sinus infections, completely gone. I haven't had one since. Um, my brain fog was better, just like being able to think clear. My body wasn't so inflamed and uncomfortable. Joint pain and things like that. When it, all these things went away that I was not expecting because I was just trying to deal with the reflux. That's what I thought was the issue. And reflux wasn't the issue. It was just another symptom of the underlying problem, which was, for me, a dietary thing. Now, all of those symptoms can be a part of something else for someone else. But for me, it was largely a food intolerance issue. So I cut, I cut gluten out, I cut dairy, and then I cut dairy 
story out probably about six months after that, just kind of as a trial. And then from there, it just kind of, everything just kind of improved. Um, as that's when I decided, I'm like, all right, well, I had no idea food could be this much of an issue for people. So I think that I want to help people also solve that problem for themselves. So that's why I became a nutritionist because it made such a massive difference in my health. Now, of course I have clients who taking, you know, removing some foods or maybe swapping some things around, make a huge difference for them. And I have some people who come in and they're already eating a super clean diet and that's not the problem. So that's kind of why I want to talk about the different pillars of health that I usually go through with clients because a lot of times food is part of the foundation, but it's not the real problem. It's actually for me, as far as in my own practice, it's been pretty rare to see someone with just a nutritional problem where we just need to adjust the diet and then everything falls into place. It's always a part of it, but it's very rare, very rarely the problem. So in like, I have kind of like six pillars that I'm going to go through today. And food is definitely at the top because I, I, I can, even though I feel like that's not the problem the majority of time for people, it is still a foundational issue. And you can at least clear some things out or at least what we call clear the muddy waters. So we're just going to kind of get some of the gunk out of the way so we can actually see the bottom and see the root and figure out what's going on for that person. So as far as food goes and what it matters what you put in your body. It just does. I mean, I, it's, it's interesting to me that when people start to make changes in their diet and they're eating, you know, quote unquote, healthier foods, they get picked on a lot. People get made fun of, oh, you're eating a healthy diet. Oh, you're being healthy. And we, it's so funny to me that eating healthy is considered like a weird thing, that it's just more normal for people just to put a bunch of crap in their body and that that should be the norm and that's okay. Or like if a, if a parents are trying to not feed their kids you know McDonald's or they're not giving them Cokes and people actually get really upset with that thinking that well the child is missing out on a rite of passage I'm like well but are they really by not by you know not introducing that food right off the bat are you setting them up for something better later on or not so it's really interesting to me how being healthy is considered like a weird thing and so food is a huge part of that of course so the quality does matter what you put in your body matters And there's a few different reasons. Number one, your body doesn't just run off of calories. Your body runs off of nutrients. So all the different things that are going on in your body require nutrients. So that's your vitamins, that's your minerals, that's, you know, your protein, fat, and carbohydrates, and all the cofactors and everything that go along with that. That's how the body functions. It needs those things in order to grow tissue, in order to first the cells to work properly, um, in order for your brain to work, and even creating new neurons and new neuronal pathways and healing things that are going on the body, taking out the trash in the body, all of those things require nutrients. So if you're eating a very heavily processed diet, um, you're not putting nutrients in your body. And so at some point, and it's different for everybody, at some point, things are going to start breaking down because your body's not getting the resources that it needs. And your body actually kind of becomes a cannibal. So it will cannibalize from your own tissues. So it will go into your bone tissue, it will go into your muscle tissue, so on, so forth, into your organs, and it will begin to remove the nutrients it needs for the body to stay in survival. So we definitely don't want to be our bodies to start cannibalizing us. It's much better to just feed it the nutrients it needs. So quality does matter. Organic used to just be normal food. So now that's another one of those things. It's like, well, organic is just one of those weird frou-frou things that people are doing. Everything used to be organic. So organic basically means that they're not using a bunch of pesticides, all of that kind of junk on it. So it's food grown more in its natural state. They do still do a lot of mono, what we call monocropping with organic vegetables. So there can be 
still be some nutrient deficiencies even there um, because they're growing like one, you know, vegetable or one fruit and for acres and acres and acres. So you don't have that nice diversity when you're growing things together um, because they help each other. But it's still better than conventional. So organic matters. Um, I would go to ewg.org. That's Environmental Working Group. ewg.org and get their Dirty Dozen and Clean 15. So you can see the the 12 fruits and vegetables that you should always buy organic. And then everything else from there you can buy conventional. So if you're thinking, I can't afford to do all organic, that's a really good tool and a really good resource for you to say, okay, get this stuff organic. All of this stuff can be conventional and that's fine. Um, Meat also matters. I would highly recommend if you're going to spend your money, um, either way, as far as quality goes, is to do it on meat. So buying grass-fed, buying pastured, or at least organic, if at all possible. Some, you know, chicken, you can't usually find that pastured in the store. But that matters. Again, what those animals are being fed and how they're being raised and how they're being taken care of affect the nutrient profile of the meat. So if they're being fed a lot of antibiotics and hormones and steroids and all that stuff, that is going into your body. If they're under stress, their cortisol levels are raised, their stress hormones are raised, you eat that, you're putting that in your body. And it does affect you from a physiological standpoint. So quality does make a difference. So, you know, we also just want to kind of get rid of the food rules. We have a lot of rules around food and what to eat and when to eat and why to eat and all that kind of stuff. We need to get back to what is your body telling you that it needs. And we're going to figure out what your body is telling you what it needs when we come back. Welcome back, Thrive Life community. So glad to be with you, as always, this morning. So you get me one-on-one today. So I kind of walked you through my, um, what Adam calls the hot mess health history. It's pretty bad. It's a little depressing. So it was pretty extensive. And as far as, you know, leading me into this career that I have now as being a nutrition consultant. So you can go back to the beginning and kind of listen through that and figure out how I got here. And then we kind of started talking about food. So I have kind of six pillars of health that I work through with clients. Because as I was saying in the segment before, food isn't always necessarily the problem. It absolutely can be strictly food and a food issue. But usually that's just a part of a bigger whole. So kind of started talking about why quality matters. And then as I went into break, I wanted to kind of start discussing the food rules. So we have a lot of rules and they create massive confusion. And there are times when rules can be really helpful as far as structuring something for somebody, especially in a medical situation where there's certain foods we need to remove. um, So it's more therapeutic. Um, But rules can, can cause you some problems. So we have the rules of you need to eat five or six times a day. For some people, that's really helpful. For other people, it absolutely is not helpful. So we have this process called the um, migrating motor pro- motor complex that once you hit that like four hours in between meals, it kind of fires up and comes online and has a lot to do with your immune system. So if you're constantly eating, you are hindering. It doesn't mean you're shutting it down, but you're hindering that process a little bit. So for some people who have major blood sugar issues um, or maybe are doing extensive working out, those things can absolutely be extremely beneficial. But for a lot of other people, eating all day long is actually not helpful. You're hindering some other processes. You're also putting a lot of stress on your digestion because it's just constantly working. Digestion needs a break. That's why the, you know, fasting can be so beneficial for some people because you're giving the body just a break. You're just saying, Hey, you can just chill out for a little while, you know, finish some other processes, do some cleanup and things along those lines, instead of just like, Hey, just keep working 24 seven. So 
we need to kind of re rethink the food rules. So if you're eating in a certain way and, you, and you've maybe been doing it for a really long time, and you don't feel like it serves you anymore. Just, you might want to reconsider why you started doing in the first place, where you are now, what's your lifestyle now, and what does your body actually need? A lot of what I do with clients is trying to figure out what does your body need now for where you are? What is your, you know, exercise level? What is your sedentary level? You know, how is your stress? All of those things make a huge difference. And we want to come at it from that perspective of the bodies in your individual body need as opposed to what the you know outward cultural rules are about eating so we need to kind of have a little shift in perspective there Sometimes eating good enough is good enough. We don't need to overcomplicate it and overthink it. There's a really great um, interview with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. It's on impact theory on YouTube. Um, he's a doc out of the UK and he has his own, he's a functional medicine doc. And he has his own show called The Doctor Is In. And I actually think a couple, I think the series, a few of the episodes are on YouTube so you can go watch it. But he's discussing on that interview how sometimes eating food eating good food is good enough and not overdoing it again not overthinking it and how sometimes just doing that so taking someone from eating just eating McDonald's to maybe having you know a chicken or steak and a salad is a much better option than going and eating really processed fried food every day and so just a little shift so not anything really crazy not you know telling you to you know make your own grain from scratch and mill it and grind it and make your own bread you know we don't need to go to that extreme Sometimes just making some really small changes is good enough, especially because, again, there's other areas that need to be addressed and worked on. So if we only focus on food, it's only going to get you so far. So we've got to move into this into some of these other areas. So. The next area I want to talk about is thinking and speaking. And I know this sounds like a, maybe a strange thing to work to work on as a nutritionist, but how we think, and not just about food, but in your everyday life, how you think and speak actually does create the life that you have every single day. And I know that probably sounds a little woo-woo and weird, but it is just an actual fact. And there's a lot of lit- literature out there about it, a lot of data. So here's why it's so important. So when you're thinking about a stressful situation. The body does not know the difference between running from the tiger and thinking about running from the tiger. You're going to have that same chemical cascade either way. So if you are stressing your, let's just go back to food for a minute. If you're being told you need to eat a certain way, you have certain foods that need to be on your plate and you're sitting there stressed out about it. First of all, you're creating the chemical cascade in the body and you're shutting down your digestion. So that's why sometimes eating good enough is enough because if you're totally stressed out about it, at least at that moment, it's not going to be super beneficial for you. So you have to get to a point where you're not stressing about the food that good enough is good enough. Let's let's continue working on some of these other aspects. And then we'll come back to maybe improving on the next level of food. So baby steps, take that first step. But again, if you are thinking about being stressed out about something, chemical cascade in the body. So if you are angry all the time, and again, anger can be a really important emotion, but it can also not service you. So if you're angry all the time, if you're bitter all the time, if you're jealous all the time, um, if you complain all the time, oh, that's a big one. So that's that negative thought pattern. And that's what a lot of people, it's just hard to get out of that thought pattern because there's a lot of crazy crap going on all over the world. So that can be a really detrimental one. So those patterns and those thought patterns, basically you can, you have those thoughts, something happens, it's a negative issue and you're, you're upset about it. And so you're upset about it for a few days. And again, chemical cascade is happening this whole time. You're creating this every single time you bring those things into your 
your mind, you are creating that same thing in your body. And the problem is, is that when you do it day after day after day, month after month after month, you've created, you know, now you're in a mood. So when someone says they're in a mood, it's because they're rehashing these same things all the time. And what happens is eventually that becomes a temperament. So now they're just kind of always, always irritated and angry. And then eventually it becomes part of their personality and they're just kind of an angry person or maybe a real negative person. Yes. Oh, my are, are you are out. you really planning your shows uh, based on my life? Or my what? secrets out. Every week is a therapy session for Autumn. Okay, okay what I'm you're right. talking about about yeah. the way you're thinking, getting out of that negative mindset. Yes. Uh, a friend of mine. It's called the Practical Neuroscience of Buddha's Brain: oh, Happiness, love, love, and Wisdom, and it talks about how to train your brain to you know to to not do that and and it's it's very much mental so i it's a really fascinating book and it's the first book i've read in like 50 i don't read like 15 years (laughs) can you repeat the title again because that sounds really interesting it's it's called the practical neuroscience of buddha's brain and uh, it's by rick hansen okay everyone it's really good i'm gonna get it too because i love i love those type of books because the thing is is that it is a practice to get out of those patterns. It doesn't just happen because you decide not to think about it. You actually have to practice not thinking that way. And you have to get up and make a conscious decision. So our subconscious is kind of running 95% of the time. So you're repeating those same patterns every day. One of my absolute favorite speakers and authors um, is Dr. Joe Dispenza. So kind of along the lines of what Adam was talking about, he has this great book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Um, So it's about retraining how you think because a lot of those patterns have been set since you were really little. And he kind of says, I think that from his data and his research that by the time you're 35, your personality is basically kind of set based on what you have learned and and your experiences up to that point. It can be changed. It's not fixed, but it is kind of set at that point. So it is a daily practice of making a conscious decision to not go down those those rabbit holes anymore not go down those negative pathways because the thing is is that those negative thoughts actually create neuronal pathways in the brain and they're very concrete and fixed and so it takes some time to unravel those pathways and then to create new ones so when you learn every time you learn something you create a new pathway but if you don't continue the practice of learning that on a daily basis so say it's like learning how to not think negative you can't just do that one day and everything is changed you have to do it day after day after day until those those pa- new pathways are completely fused together and now it's become um, Um, your new way of thinking and your new way of being in the world. So it's not fixed. It can absolutely be changed. But the thing is, is that you can create your day. So let's just go day to day and not even like the big picture of how do you want to live your whole life and what kind of life do you want to create? Let's just go day to day. Every morning when you wake up, what are you thinking about? That is actually setting the stage for the rest of your day. So if you wake up and you're thinking about, oh, I have all this stuff to do today and I have all these tasks I need to get done and you're, you know, and this person, I have to go to work and I have to see this person and they make me really mad. You're can you, I don't know if you can almost, I can actually kind of feel that in my body, how I'm already starting to tense up just saying that. My shoulders are coming up. I can feel my breath like increasing a little bit. I can feel that actually changing my body. And all I'm doing is telling a story. So if that's what you're doing on a daily basis, again, you're creating the chemical cascade. And so the body actually becomes addicted to the chemicals of stress. That's what we call them, the chemicals of stress, just by how you think and the things that you speak out into the world. So 
again, your body doesn't know the difference between running from a tiger and just thinking about running from the tiger. So the same thing is if you're in a confrontation with your boss, let's say, um, your body doesn't know the difference between you actually sitting in front of your boss and having that conversation and you thinking about it. So the same thing, those stress chemicals are happening either way. So you can neither decide to be in those chemicals of stress and those patterns on a daily basis, or you can decide to start working on how can I change that narrative? How can I think about this differently? And again, this is not going to happen overnight. This is a daily practice. Meditation can be a huge part of it since we were talking about meditation a little bit ago as we started at the beginning of the show. Meditation can be a huge part of it because there's just, just very simply, there's a lot more to it than this, but very simply, when you sit down and you close your eyes, you stop part of the distraction. So you're immediately taking away some of the stimulation from the outer world. If you put some headphones on or some earplugs in again you're creating another barrier to all the outside world and that's when you get to go inside and figure out what's going on and start working about it because if you don't create that connection inside yourself because that's where the work needs to happen it can't happen from the outside yes you can go sit and talk with a therapist or you can work with you know I've had some great people on the show you know Marisha with hypnotherapy and Veronique you know with um, personal development you can go and talk to those people and go through programs with them but they're still going to tell you you have to do daily outside work in order to really make a change because again you can't just think about something or learn something one day and expect that it's going to stick for the rest of your life that's not going to happen you want to build the you know from the physiological perspective you want to build the new neuronal pathways in the brain and the only way to do that is with repetitive learning so it's not just a one-time memorization you need to learn it and it needs to actually become a part of you and that's when things start to change and you can start to have the more positive outlook and even sometimes people having a positive outlook gets gets it's kind of a bad rep. It's like, what are you so happy about? Because everyone's so miserable all the time. So why are you happy? Why are you smiling? Why are, why are you in such a good mood? And it doesn't mean you need to, you know, be walking around like you're in the Smurfs or something and singing their little song. It just means that you need to not be angry all the time or not think that the worst case scenario is going to happen in every situation. And again, that's probably been there a really long time. So it's not going to change overnight. So it's just the process of starting. Meditation can be a great way to do that. There's lots of great guided meditations out there. If you're worried about trying to sit and clear your mind or go inward, go find some guided meditations. Um, there's one, there's a really good app and hopefully it will come to my headspace. So headspace is a great app. The, the meditations are like 10 minutes. So they're pretty short, especially if you're just starting out, it can be hard to sit there for more than five to 10 minutes. Um, so it's just a very simple guided meditation. I think the first 10 meditations are free. Um, so that is a great way to get started. And again, we just want to cut out all the noise so that we can start to tune into ourselves and make that connection. And once you make that connection internally, you can start changing those habits and those patterns. But until you sit down and be quiet and basically make your body stay where it is, kind of, I guess, treating it like an animal for a little bit, make it stay there until you, you can go through the process of figuring it out. And this is a lifelong process, so don't expect it to happen overnight. So when we come back, I'm going to talk about having good friends could make you healthier than eating kale. Yes. Welcome back, Thrive Live community. Thanks for joining me today. I've given you a bit of a rundown of my awesome and complex health history and kind of where I stand today. And now I'm kind of going through the different pillars of health that I use with clients. So food is always, of course, a foundational piece, but it is just very, really one piece of the puzzle. The more I work with people, the more I realize that, man, you know, food is kind of a foundation. So we kind of, it's almost kind of like we want to get 
get that done and almost kind of get it out of the way. I know that sounds a little flippant, but we want to get it in place. And, and so they're not, you're not having to think about it and obsess over it all the time because there's more work to do. So if you're thinking and obsessing about your food all the time and what you're putting in your body and confusion around it, you can't take that next step to really getting into the, the body shifting and the body healing because the food has to just kind of be in place and let's go to the next level. You know, it's kind of, you know, sometimes being good enough is good enough. You don't need to overcomplicate it and let's, let's not continue changing things up. Let's just get a really nice foundation where you feel good eating those foods and then let's get into the real problems. One of the real problems that I spoke about in the last segment is how you think. It is such, it's huge because, you know, I'm not going to go all the way back into it because I want to at least touch on some of the other ones before I'm done today. But it's, it is one of the big guys because you're changing the chemistry every time you think a thought. And we think anywhere from 60 to 70,000 thoughts in a day. So of those 60 to 70,000 thoughts, do you want them to be promoting health or harming health? I'm hoping you want them to be promoting health. And it's hard to always identify those because we, we're in these kind of subconscious loops and these subconscious patterns because 95% of your day, the subconscious is kind of rolling, kind of like when you, you know, you're driving your car somewhere and it's somewhere you're used to going maybe you're driving from work to home so it's a pattern that you're accustomed to and you might be uh, just thinking about something totally different and you kind of look up and say how in the heck did I get home I don't remember because that subconscious pattern had taken over and drove the car home because you have that pathway in your brain literally ingrained in so a lot of our subconscious patterns aren't necessarily great now those are very helpful because you know we learn how to walk at some point we don't want to unlearn we want that to kind of stay with us every single day we won't have to relearn how to walk every day but the same thing with your thoughts you need to relearn how to think especially if you're in that negative mindset and those negative thought patterns so we threw out a couple of books for you in the last segment so hop back over and listen to that um, in the archives so I'm going to really briefly touch on um, a couple of the middle ones just because I want to get to the last one, which is also really, really, really important. So rest and sleep, of course, is a critical thing. Sleep, um, I was I was listening to um, a doc talking about, you know, I think it was like less than if for three or four nights in a row, if you are less than like five to six hours of sleep within just a couple of days, you actually put yourself in a pre-diabetic state. So it's not just having tons of sugar in the diet that affect the insulin levels it's your sleep so if there's nothing else that I talk about on sleep just consider that if you are getting minimal amounts of sleep every single night you are you can put yourself in a diabetic state so that's not a good thing so that's even again a bigger portion than just the food so that's why you can't just fix the food without talking about these other things so rest can mean many different things it can mean laying down and taking a nap but it could also mean going and spending time with friends it can mean you know maybe you like to garden so go out and garden or just hang out with your dog read a book all of those things are restful um I wouldn't say necessarily binge watching Netflix for eight hours is super restful because it's it kind of puts you in that um I don't know, hypnotic zone where you're not really thinking or doing anything. And that can be fine at times. But, you know, if you're doing that on a daily basis, I don't recommend that as being rest. So finding something to do that just the body can relax, especially if you're on Netflix, if you're watching things that are super active, then that's probably not really helping you because your body, again, is feeling that. So um, those are really critical Um 
Sleep, I think I talked about this in a previous episode. Sleep is a non-negotiable for me. I have to get, I try to go to bed at the same time every night and get up at the same time every morning because it's such a critical aspect of, like I was talking about at the beginning, the vertigo that I have. The less sleep I get, the worse the symptoms are and the more annoying they are. So sleep is super important for me. And besides that, I just don't like to be a grumpy hot mess all day long either because that's not fun for anybody, including myself. So the other pillar would be movement. So you got to move your body every day. If you're super sedentary, you can just start with doing some stretching, doing some walking, and then you can move into like a short, you know, four minute high intensity training, which can be great. I think the um, the one that I like, it's called Tabata. So it's literally like four minutes long and it has just as much impact as doing like an hour cardio session, but it's actually better, I think, on your joints because you're not putting so much stress on them. Four minutes a day. Um, you can look up a Tabata timer. It's basically like 20 seconds of the exercise full out. You have to do it full out and then 10 second rest and then 20 second, 10, so on and so forth. And you can kind of choose whatever exercise. Uh, I like to do planks and squats and um, burpees. Those are really good because you kind of hit the whole body. Um, yoga is also fantastic. So kind of what I'm working working in because exercise is challenging for me, especially anything that's kind of up and down like yoga. Um, so I'm working in a little bit more yoga and I'm working in that Tabata training once or twice a week. And that's about all I can do right now. Uh, but it's improving. So that's always a good thing. Um, the other one I'm, I wanted to talk about was your routines and your habits um, and how important those are. And that kind of goes back to the thinking and speaking, you know, also creating good, healthy habits every day, which it, whatever that is for you, it could be eating a healthy breakfast, or it could be making sure you get up and do some exercise or go walk the dog. Or again, what are you thinking when you first get out of bed? What, what, how are you creating your day? Are you creating it from negativity or are you, are you deciding that it's going to be a good day? And it is a little bit of fake it till you make it kind of thing sometimes um, because again you have to kind of do that every single day until it actually becomes a part of you it doesn't just happen overnight or you wake up and put a really cheesy fake smile on your face and it might make you laugh or it might you might just feel like an idiot and then stop doing it but <laughs> you have to try to create some of those habits every day before you go to bed at night so going back to sleeping if you've got monkey mind where you cannot shut your brain down and it could be you're thinking of all the things that you have to do tomorrow or like some kind of project you're working on and some ideas start popping in your head. There's nothing you can do about it right then. You can't go work on those things because tomorrow is not here. Keep, if that's a problem for you, keep a journal by your bed, get up, write it all down and go back to bed, get it out on paper. And that way you can always come back to it in the morning. You're not going to forget about it, especially if it's something you don't want to forget about. So that's a really good habit to have. Some people need to really schedule their entire day. They need to schedule in rest. They need to schedule in work. They need to schedule in family time. So that can be another good habit to get into um, so that you're not just allowing whatever to happen, happen. If, especially if there's things that you really want to do, you might need to schedule your day a little bit more so that you make the decision of what happens you know, through the day and the world doesn't make that decision for you. So that's another great thing you can do. Um, I don't want to go into that one too much more because I could literally talk the whole hour on it. But the last thing I really want to hit is, for me, actually the most important part of any health journey and more important, yes, than eating kale, and that is your community. So there's really interesting paradoxes that we see in different areas of the world, small villages, where community is actually the number one marker of health. So I think it was 
in no I don't want maybe not Greece I keep wanting to say Greece but I don't think that's right it might have been Spain or something like that anyway there's a couple of communities that are not too far apart one of them they eat terrible their sleep habits are awful um, they have weight issues um, but they don't have chronic illness there's a site there's a little town not too far from there a little village not too far from them where they eat really well you know not a lot of weight problems sleep is good all of those things but they actually have more chronic disease and this is today so this isn't something that was happening you know hundreds of years ago this is today and what they discovered is that the community that did not have the chronic health conditions um, had a very strong community supportive ties. So very interwoven community. The community that had more of the health issues but the healthier quote unquote lifestyles had less of community bonds. So what we're seeing is that sometimes, well I shouldn't even say sometimes, really in most cases because we are relational people, we are not meant to be isolated. And I think um, even with the advent of social media, as much as that can be awesome and you know get you in contact with people um, it can be there's great things about it but it does create some isolation factors and so the more isolated we are the worse our health is getting so I'm not saying it's the whole problem but it's absolutely part of the issue is our isolation that we have as compared to what we used to you know and we live in a country where a lot of our needs are taken care of we can go to the grocery store and get food we're not reliant on our neighbor to help us you know find food or they're growing something and we're growing something and we can trade we don't do that anymore so we don't have that reliance on our neighbor because those things are available for us. So we actually have to create opportunity to be social with each other. And that can be the number one thing that's keeping you from getting your health goals. So if you take anything away from today, it's this one right here. Look at your circle of friends because you basically, the, the five people that you hang around, those are the, that's kind of who you're going to be. So kind of consider that if you are having issues with not getting out in and having some time with friends, with family, start scheduling it in because just by having that social outlet and creating those bonds, that can actually take your health leaps and bounds above where it is. More than food, more than moving, more than sleep, more than any of those other things. So get out and find some friends today. Thank you all so much for joining me. I'm so glad to always be with you on Fridays. I will see you next week with another great show.